Hello and welcome to Blockchain Insider uh, for a very special interview with the one and only Jamie Bartlett. How are you doing, Jamie? I'm good, thanks. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thanks for coming on the show. You've uh, you've become quite well known recently in certain circles. I don't know what's going on. Uh, I mean, I did a, I did this talk about the darknet a while back, and I got a little bit of recognition for that, but nothing compared to what's happened in the last three months. Well, what's happened in the last three months is you've put out a podcast on BBC Sounds called uh, "Is It the Case of the Missing Crypto Queen?" Um, what what happened with that podcast? How did that podcast come about? And can you can you give that some context? Right. Well, the producer of the podcast, uh, Georgia Cat, who appears throughout, she probably uh, just over a year ago, she actually got approached by someone telling her about this incredible new cryptocurrency called OneCoin. You know, you might want to consider investing. <laughs> you're going to make a fortune. She doesn't know anything about cryptocurrencies, but she started looking into it and thought, something's not right about this. And yes, I've heard that the inventor of Bitcoin, Satoshi Nakamoto, disappeared too. But this woman who's invented one coin has also vanished, and something seemed very strange about her disappearance. Well, because this was a real person. Satoshi Nakamoto <laughs> yeah. famously was like, is it a real person? Are, yeah. it, it, you know, and is it many people? And yeah. as, as many people thought it was. Dr. Ruja was, was uh, the person in question here, was quite public at one oh, point. Oh, completely. No, yeah, I was, I was about to get to that, but it was just to say that the story came about from that, a very strange encounter that she had, and she was, I think she was supposed to be working on another podcast, and she kind of stopped what she was doing, phoned me up and said, I found the most crazy story. You know about cryptocurrency, right? I've seen your work. I said, yeah, I know all about it. I know, about, <laughs> I know all about them. She said, you heard about one coin then. It's massive. And I said, no. Mm -hmm. She said, what do you mean? But it's a multi-billion dollar cryptocurrency. Wow. But I'd never heard of it. I, I, honestly, we, you know I live and breathe this stuff. I'd never heard of it. Isn't that weird? And and most of the nerds that I'm talking to on WhatsApp and Telegram and Signal and elsewhere were like, never heard of this thing. <laughs> yeah. It's like, how how what has crypto come to when we none of us had heard of OneCoin and it was massive? Right, we'll get to that because I think that's really important and a bit of a failing on the part of the crypto world, actually. Mm. But the thing is... I start looking into it and, and suddenly I start, I mean, I realize this is the craziest story I've ever seen in my life. Woman turns up, Ruja Ignatova in 2014 and said, I've got the next Bitcoin. Bitcoin's complicated. It's techie. Everyone involved, apologies to listeners, is arrogant. Mm -hmm. I'm going to build a Bitcoin that's for the masses. It's going to be simple. It's going to be easy to use. It's going to be about buying and selling. Get in now on the ground floor. Within a couple of years, it'll be worth $100 a coin. And um, people just started putting a lot of money into this. And by 2017, less than three years later, 4 billion euros at least had been invested into one coin. That's mad. And then the woman disappears in October 2017, never to be seen again. I mean, already you can tell that has the making of an interesting story. So what we what we then did with the podcast, you know, we pitched it into the BBC. They said, great, off you go. And I suppose... The sort of the secret of it, because you're a podcast person, mm. you'll understand, is yes, we're looking for Dr. Ruja Ignatova. Where is she? Well, you know, what are the leads that can help us work out where she might have gotten to? But also through that, how did one how did she pull this off? I mean, mm. how did so many people fall for one coin? 
what what's the scam behind OneCoin? How does it work? And so the podcast was to unravel those two stories together. Yeah, and it it throws up those questions as you go through the process, and you you have to do a lot of interesting things as you as you're going on that journey. And I guess um, it did become sort of. Um, quite investigative. You, you're sort of these roving reporters at one stage. So how did you actually get started investigating what was going on and what questions you wanted to ask? What did that process look like? Well, the, the, the truth is that some podcasts are released as eight episodes and they come out weekly, but they've all been made in advance. Mm-hmm. So it's a bit faked, if you like. But this one, genuinely, when, when we released episode one, Episode six, seven, and eight, and actually five wasn't done at all. Mm-hmm. You know, we still had, to, and we were still investigating leads. <laughs> yeah, okay, you do, yeah. <laughs> so we, but we made that as part of the decision because we knew that OneCoin, unlike most stories about scams, and if I haven't said it yet, it, OneCoin is a scam. <laughs> unlike most um, scam stories that are then investigated by podcasts or whatever. The scam was still running when we started the podcast in full flow. I had a plan that I would be able to interview Konstantin Ignatov, the brother, because he wasn't arrested until March 2019 and we started in January. So when we put the pitch in, a bit of secret information for you, we're going to try to interview Konstantin Ignatov, the brother of (laughs) Rusia, because they're public figures. Yeah. You know, so but then he goes to the US and gets himself arrested and he's just pleaded guilty for fraud. Mm -hmm. So... The first step was, of course, to set out, you know, the, the broad story, do your research online. And then and then we knew that we were sort of up against the clock and we wanted to get to some events. We wanted to meet some investors. We wanted to meet promoters. The first thing we actually did was was we, we went to Bulgaria where she was based, saw her office, saw her boat in Sozopol, interviewed a local investigator. And then we got wind of a a one-coin event taking place in Romania, a be- like a one-coin cryptocurrency beauty pageant, the world's first ever cryptocurrency beauty pageant. And you actually recorded sound at that event, I recall. We it, did. Yeah. yeah, we did. Of course, we went in there. We went in there and they, because we really wanted to get to a one-coin event to see how they promoted it, but we were worried that with the BBC, you know, they wouldn't let us in or mm-hmm. whatever. And so we just turned up. We basically, what we did there was we kind of turned up and talked our way in and mm. said, you know, we've come a long way. We're with the BBC. We don't want, you know, we're not going to take videos. We just want sound. And after a lot of toing and froing, they let us in. I cannot believe they let us in, but they let wow. us into this beauty pageant. Nothing like, I've been to a lot of Bitcoin events. It's nothing like a one-coin event. They talk the same language, but they're not the same people. They're not talking about, I mean, have you ever been to an Ethereum Beauty pageant, oh, I mean... Uh, they look quite different. You know, there's, there's, there's a lot more, you know, sort of um, get Vitalik buff again sort of memes. And, <laughs> oh, it's there? Yeah, and, and okay. uh, un- I think unicorn punk is their general vibe um, that they're going for in the Ethereum community. It's quite different. It's right. esoteric in its own yep. ways, but it's, um, it's, it's nerds gone mad rather, right. than, uh, rather than a beauty pageant, that's for sure. So we start, we start off, you know, we really, we weren't sure at the outlet what we would get. And we knew that the transmission date for episode one was early September, mid-September. Mm-hmm. And so we had the summer and, and spring to to try to get – there were people we really wanted to get. We really wanted to get the multi-level marketer, Iger Alberts, who's mm-hmm. the you know one of the world's top multi-level marketers who'd, been, who'd made millions of dollars selling one coin. Yeah. We knew we wanted to get the victims. We, but we didn't know exactly what we'd get when we started because you never quite know when you, when mm-hmm. you start off on these kind of investigative – um, but when we knew we wanted to get to Uganda, 
mm. because we, when we started reading about the fact there were villages in Uganda where people hadn't heard of Bitcoin, but they'd heard of one coin. Mm. People had like a whole village had chipped in together to be able to afford to buy the starter package. Mm -hmm. And I know this package language might be confusing to a listener, but maybe we'll explain it in a second. Yeah. We, we knew to tell that story, we had to go there. So we had a few things we definitely were, were kind of locked in. But other than that, we were sort of waiting for people to come to us. And as, amazingly, as the podcast came out and words started getting around that we were doing it, other people came to us. I've heard mm. you're doing a podcast. I want to tell my story. Wow. Uh, it could be the beginning of, uh, of many, many things. I, I guess it must have been kind of crazy as, as you go down this rabbit hole. Um, there's so many questions that, that this then leads to. But I think that the narrative, let, let's stick with that for a little while, which is what, as you stand back and look at it now, what do you think OneCoin is and what do you think it was to the people that bought into it at the time that, that A, fell for the scam and B, you know, kind of promoted it? People who fell for the scam, other than thinking it was their chance to get in when they'd missed out on Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. And remember, nearly all of the investors into OneCoin, and there were hundreds of thousands of them, maybe over a million, none of them understood Bitcoin. None of them really understood blockchain technology, but they most of them had read about it, or they read articles about people making Seeing a lot of money. something in the news. Exactly, exactly. People, oh, I've heard that story about the pizza person. Mm -hmm. That famous pizza story, right? Whatever uh, it is. Somebody I'm... bought uh, two pizzas, uh, sorry, uh, Bitcoin. No, wait. Somebody <laughs> bought two pizzas for a Bitcoin, and uh, that's uh, famously yeah. the most expensive pizza yeah. in history. For folklore, isn't it, yeah. in the Bitcoin world? And so they'd seen these stories, and amazingly, they would, they, so they, they, they think, I've missed the boat with, with, Bitcoin, which is doubly frustrating because there were people in 2015 that thought they'd mi missed the Bitcoin boat and so put thousands of pounds into one coin, mm -hmm. which had they put into Bitcoin, of course, would have mm -hmm. turned out quite well for them. So, so for them, they thought they were part of the wider cryptocurrency revolution. So they would read the articles, they would go on to Coin Telegraph, they would talk to each other about Ethereum without really understanding it, but feel they were part of the same thing. Right. Not realizing that never at a single OneCoin event have you seen one person from that world speak. And never at a true cryptocurrency event have you ever seen a OneCoin person speak. Mm -hmm. But they believe they were part of the same they were part of the same world. And part of the reason for that is that OneCoin would use the same language intentionally. Bank the unbanked, money without banks, financial revolution. Rather than though having a decentralized blockchain, they would say at OneCoin, this is an interesting thing we didn't really talk about on the podcast. They would say, the problem with Bitcoin is it's used on the darknet markets. Kind of my world's colliding there. Yeah. It's used on the darknet markets for drugs and crime and governments won't accept it. That's why we are building a KYC blockchain, which puts your KYC details into the blockchain. It's centralized, it's secure, it's secretive, so it can't be misused by criminals. What? Yeah, well, I know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know. But but the language was actually kind of you're part of the cryptocurrency revolution, but you're part of a secure one that the regulators will accept. Mm -hmm. 
it's not libertarian in quite the same way. And I think a lot of people have bought into this um, Bitcoin upgraded thing, um, and many people have tried to do it in the crypto community. And 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 there are the, there was an explosion of different coins, sort of after Bitcoin, which may have made this easier to hide amongst the crowd mm. a little bit. Mm. That that it wasn't just Bitcoin at this point. There was Ripple and there was Ethereum, and then there was a long tail of them, yes. especially in 2017. And everybody had a coin, and the prices were were going to through yeah. the, through the roof. And I think a lot of people were just thinking, well, I'll put a few thousand pounds in. Maybe it comes off. Maybe it doesn't come off. Uh, maybe I'll make a million. Maybe I'll make nothing. That's a risk I'm willing to take. Which is uh, general uh, kind of principle for some people that are fortunate enough to do that is never invest anything that you can't afford to lose. But, of course, there were lots of people who did. Lots of people that did. I mean, everyone did. Because mm. oh, Well, that's not true. One coin, you, you asked what, how do I describe it? I mean, the actual best description is from the US authorities who call it a hybrid Ponzi pyramid scheme, mm -hmm. which is what it is. The only thing it really shares in common with cryptocurrency is hype. It uses the language and the hype mm -hmm. to say this is an amazing thing. The price is mathematically determined to go up forever and all of that stuff, and everyone will be using this one day. But actually, it's just structured like a classic pyramid scheme mm -hmm. with pyramid selling, which is the key to understanding the whole thing and mm -hmm. how it spread and how it goes from the UK to Uganda so quickly, for example. So you're bringing people in, you're recruiting people in, you get a commission when you recruit them in, and mm -hmm. then they recruit people, and then you get a commission from everyone in your downline. And you use the new money to pay off the first, the early investors. Mm -hmm. So it's pyramid and Ponzi combined, where all pyramids are Ponzi's, but not all Ponzi's are pyramids because yes. Bernie Madoff's wasn't a pyramid selling structure, Indeed. but it was still a Ponzi scheme. So it's it's essentially, even though it's everyone called it a crypto scam, it, it doesn't actually have anything to do with crypto at all. Well, and this is interesting. So I've had um, I, so maybe I'm on the wrong podcast here. Well, no, no, no. <laughs> well, this is interesting to me because I, I spend a lot of my time explaining crypto to various people, as I'm sure do a lot of listeners to, to this show. Um, and people do equate crypto with scams. Hmm. And there have been things that did use crypto technology that have been scammed. So that's yeah. not without warrant. But I do think that uh, people have, you know, it's it sort of contaminated crypto even more than it already was because of everything that came with the darknet markets. Where do you stand on that now as you step back from this, you know, from one coin versus crypto? Have you sort of seen, do you see the things as distinct? And, and how are you explaining it to people? I see them as very distinct. And I know some people are upset that we've called it the crypto queen mm -hmm. because you we're saying you should have called it called her the, the missing ponzi queen or mm -hmm. the missing pyramid scammer queen but she called herself the missing crypto queen she pulled investors in by saying this was part of the cryptocurrency revolution mm -hmm. the people that invested did so because they thought they were part of the cryptocurrency revolution mm -hmm. so i think it's fair to to use the term but when I describe it now, I do say it's not really a crypto scam, not in the sense of, oh, I've got an ICO, yes. uh, it's going to turn into something amazing, and then it doesn't, and I've, I've put together a rubbish white paper and nothing happens, but I've got all the money now. Yeah. It's not that kind of scam. What, the, the people that were involved at the top didn't really know anything about cryptocurrency at all. A lot of them were professional pyramid sellers mm. or had been involved in classic pyramid scams in the past. They looked around and saw that, cryptocurrency was a perfect product to run through a pyramid scam because you didn't really need to have any physical product. 
you could just invent it and put it in. You put a number in someone's web uh, account and mm-hmm. say, "There's your product. Isn't that amazing?" Oh, it's a very the low running cost as well. Sorry. And look, the number's gone up. Look how much richer it, you are. You and, can't have it back yet, though. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So it just it seemed to. I think they looked at it and thought it has all the ingredients for, for a perfect pyramid product because low running costs because all you got all you need is a number in your account. Mm-hmm. We will use all the hype and excitement about it. The, rather than selling vitamin sub- supplements, which is very difficult, and you need mm. to, sh- you know, you, you need to stock your garage up with hundreds of boxes of vitamin tablets. You, the, you need to deliver something, <laughs> even if it's not doing what it says. Yeah, it exactly. Does. Exactly, and which is annoying for people, and it's hard for people to sell Tupperware to their friends and family all the time. But if you can say. I'm going to sell you a coin that's going to keep going up in value. You it's are very actually selling a dream. You're, you're selling, literally selling the dream because, yeah. and 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 it, it's it's very easy to control the price of that fake coin, so mm-hmm. it does always go in the right direction. Um, it just, I, th- I, I actually think they. They were surprised by how successful it was. That was going to be my next question because was there something where they executed it extremely well? Was it? Uh, the timing because the, surely there were other people that tried to do this playbook but weren't as successful like there must have been people doing yeah. MLM with crypto scams yeah. that aren't one coin well Ruja herself did one <laughs> <laughs> called Bigcoin yeah. which she tried uh, six months before uh, she launched one coin as sort of an experiment mm. Um, but I think that was one of the first, actually, that was a real hybrid of MLM oh. and fake coin, if you like. MLM multi-level marketing and, and fake coin. I think it was the first proper one, that and Bitcoin. The, co, the co-leader, the co-founder of OneCoin, who in some ways is as important as Ruja, is a man called Sebastian Greenwood, who's just got a long history in pyramid systems. Mm-hmm. I think he came with the idea of creating the pyramid selling and she came with the kind of the these bit of knowledge about crypto because she did work in finance for a while for McKinsey's and and a bit of credibility you know she had the degree from Oxford she had a degree from uh, Constance University in Germany and mm. the two of them together made a, a quite amazing team mm. so i think yes they they were surprised by the speed with which this grew i think they may have even thought can, can we go legit? I mean, this is so successful. Why didn't we do a proper cryptocurrency this yeah. way? But it was too late. At that point, the, yeah, how do you get out of that? And it feels like that some of the people that put their money in and couldn't pull it out, you, I think you intimated at some point that there may be links to crime or there may be links to other things that aren't so positive. Uh, do, do you think they may have got themselves in over their head to a certain degree? Yeah, and that's an area that's quite hard to talk about, partly for legal reasons, mm. because there's there's, a, there's an awful lot of uh, rumor and speculation hearsay about her close relationships with pretty notorious people in the Bulgarian crime scene, mm-hmm. even within the Bulgarian government. But it's very, very hard to prove any of that stuff. Well, absolutely. The, the FBI, however, has said that the brother, Constantin, has significant links with organized crime mm. in Bulgaria. The way I look at this, and again, without naming particular names, if you're suddenly sitting on hundreds of millions of dollars and you suddenly need to move it around and you're based in Bulgaria... It's quite difficult not to have other groups getting involved. Mm-hmm. Just who you are and where you are. and It's you, you quite can't, yeah. plausible and logical that that could have happened. Yeah. Mm. So that's the, that's the way that I see it. And 
There were, it's, it's, again, for people to understand this, the way that it worked is you would be making, as a seller, as a promoter of one coin, you would make 10% on all direct sales. So if I sell you a starter pack for 500 euros, or I sell you a tycoon pack, and these are the names they use for 5,000 euros, or an ultimate pack for 118,000 euros, with which you get tokens, which are then quote unquote, used to mine your one coin, which then turn up in your account, I make a 10% commission on your sales. Then I make roughly a 2 to 3% commission on all the sales that you and everyone below you make in my downline. Mm -hmm. The reason this is a Ponzi scheme is that for a very long time, or for at least the first 18 months, that downline commission was being paid out. People were earning money from their downline in addition to their 10% commission. Mm -hmm. But then the money started to dry up and people weren't getting paid their downline commission, but they were still getting their direct sales commission. So people were making money by going to friends and family still and selling them and getting 10% from And what that. was in these packs that they were selling? So like I, I know that people listening to this may have gone to Coinbase or to other websites, Crack uh, and many, many others to go buy cryptocurrency that, that's available in various marketplaces. But... A pack is quite a different thing. What, what's in a pack? Yeah, it's weird, isn't it? Like, because this is the, one of the other arguments. What other cryptocurrencies can you only buy through purchasing a pack mm -hmm. for a set price? So for a pack, you receive a certain number of tokens, mm -hmm. which are then used, I'm using their language here, which mm -hmm. are then used to mine the OneCoin on the OneCoin blockchain and then once your tokens have been used to mine those coins, the coins appear in your account. And the tokens you get for each pack, the more money you spend on each pack, the more tokens you get, of course. And they would always do special offers. And every now and again, there'd be like a special offer. You can double your tokens, which is weird because there's a market price, they say, for one coin. They would say, let's say that it's March 2016 and one coin is worth 11 euros. It's clear they're in control of supply. That's the only way <laughs> you could sell something for half price. If well, yeah, exactly. So suddenly, in or in, in, I think it was in June 2017, or maybe it's June 2016, actually, there's suddenly a special offer where you can spend 100,000 euros to buy what turns out to be like millions of one coin, which makes the price hardly anything at all. But you will be able to sell these for 10 euros on the market when it opens. And that's not how markets it work. It doesn't make any sense, <laughs> does it? Why would I wait? Why would I buy them at a market price when I can buy them for yeah. fractions? I'll of just that? go buy the packs instead I'll of buying the them packs. on the market. Yeah. I'll buy the packs. So, uh, and people would buy multiple versions of the same pack because they'd be on special offer and so on. And it's like one off, you'll be able to double your tokens. Now, technically, what OneCoin said is we're not selling coins. We're not selling tokens. The tokens come free with the packs and the packs are actually educational materials. So I have seen the educational materials that you buy for from one coin. For 100,000 euros. So for 100,000, you're 118,000 euros, you get all education levels of uh, the education materials from one coin levels one to seven. Mm -hmm. So the more you spend, the higher level you get for the 118,000 euros, you'll get all seven materials. But they are essentially PDF, I mean, 50 pages of PDFs, uh, just basics about finance, and significant chunks are straight plagiarized from different books. Wow. We checked it. Wow. We checked it. We got plagiarized material. At the end of episode 
five or six. I can't remember which one now. Um, I read from from a Finance for Dummies, and Georgia read uh, One Coin Educational Material, and they're just the same. Wow. That's terrible. No, it's technical analysis for dummies. That was it. Technical analysis for dummies. My goodness. I mean, if you're going to sell it, that's a markup. I mean, you can get that on Amazon a lot cheaper. <laughs> None of the material you couldn't easily find either for 10 euros in a book or free online on mm. all of the amazing websites that are out there to teach you about cryptocurrencies. So... Um, the argument that this is just, a, you know, we're buying, we're selling educational materials that are incredible, but you just happen to get some free tokens is ridiculous. Because also the investors that we interviewed, none of them said I was in it for the education. You did speak to some people who were still promoters and supporters. Yes. And um, they, they, they seem to be still quite vociferously supporting uh, the the world of uh, OneCoin and or anything that even resembles it. Uh do you think that they were still actively promoting and selling the packs and had a commercial motivation, or do you think there were still some in there that are true believers? This is the difficulty with this with one coin. It's very hard to distinguish between the people who were also duped and also believe, and those who know full well it's a scam and they're scamming other people still. Mm-hmm. And I, that's I think what's what makes it difficult for the authorities to know who is scamming and who is scammed, because. When you're talking about a pyramid scheme, people who are your quote-unquote victims have also usually or often brought other people in, recruited other people and made a small commission themselves. So it's very hard to know where responsibility lies. Uh, the, The kind of chief victim in our story, Jen McAdam from Scotland, she had invested 10,000 euros into one coin. Um... But she also recruited other people into the scam and who invested 250000 of their money. So it becomes no, – no, I don't consider her a scammer at all because I think as soon – well, she was accidentally a scammer because mm-hmm. she really believed. And as soon as she learned the truth, she stopped. She went public. She was threatened. She carried on. And she's done nothing but speak out mm-hmm. against OneCoin ever since. But I think there are a lot of people who – there's a term in law which is something like conscious avoidance. Mm. They they don't want to know the truth. They avoid learning the truth because they know they suspect it's probably a scam, but they don't actually want to know. And well, sunk cost fallacy starts to kick in as well, which is how much time, effort, energy of my own cash, my own profits, my identity is now attached to this thing yeah. that may in fact be incorrect. And can I psychologically deal with that? Which to me makes what Jen did uh, so powerful and brave, yeah. really. I mean, uh, it's very early on in the podcast. You you hear her kind of listening to herself previously um, when she was you know really trying to support one coin and reflecting back on that and. That's a brave thing to do and to put herself out there like that. Yeah, definitely. And she, like I say, she got a lot of criticism for that. I mean, she, and it, she, she even got letters from Carter Ruck, who were representing OneCoin and Rouge. The law re- firm, I assume. The law firm Carter yeah. Ruck, sorry, yeah. yeah. Um, who are sort of quite a well-known law firm in London that Private Eye seems to get tangled up with all, every other week. Yeah. Um, 
saying you cease and desist. I mean, remove this criticism of OneCoin, all these allegations you've made against it. And that's terrifying when you're an ordinary person and you get a law firm, a famous law firm, writing you letters. But she wouldn't. She carried on. And so, I mean, incredibly brave thing to do. But there is a – it's a bit like the the Marxists who it takes them decades to renounce Marxism Mm -hmm. because they've put so much of their own reputation into it. Mm -hmm. And – I like that metaphor. Yeah, yeah. well, you know, because you've met that person, right? You you know that person. It's it's hard, and she says that it took her months to accept it, because there's a the 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 bit you're referring to is this bitcoiner. I mean, a hardcore bitcoiner called Timothy Curry. Yes, who he very quickly spotted something was wrong with one coin, and basically spent his months going. Well, he's still doing it now, going round to one coin promoters and saying, "This is a scam. Stop it." Really on his own. No one else was helping him out. I mean, it's really un- it's re- quite amazing what he did as well. And him and Jen have this conversation where he is telling her it's a scam and she will not listen to him. Yeah. She says, no, you're lying. You're a Bitcoiner. You're a paid hater. You don't want one coin to succeed. You're making money from Bitcoin and your scared will overtake Bitcoin. That's why. Yeah. And, and Jen had been told to say all this. That she she'd been told by the leaders that Bitcoiners were jealous of OneCoin, so don't listen to them. Wow! And don't listen to Google because it's fake news, and don't listen to the authorities because they're scared. Um, and she'd so kind of swallowed all of this that it, she said it took her several months to read all the material that he sent her and to finally accept it. Now, the thing is, once you accept it's a scam, it's almost like you flip 180 degrees immediately. Yeah. You know, then you're fully. But, and then you see the world in a different way. Oh, the, and I don't know if you've ever been through therapy, but there are moments that you have moments of clarity in life yeah. that are terrifying and yet so like a weight has lifted sort of yeah. thing in a weird way. Exactly. And and, and I, I interviewed a, an amazing professor who specializes in cult psychology and that mm. kind of thing. And she's, she sometimes she's, she says it's like a switch moment or a, or a, or a flip where often it's a small thing. She's talking about people that leave cults. And there are cultic elements to this. You know, the way they talk about Ruja, our saviour. Mm. Even when Ruja disappeared, the supporters would say, no, she's gone into hiding for the greater good. She'll return one day as the <laughs> Messiah. That you Sometimes there's just a moment of clarity, like you say, a switch moment or a flip moment, where suddenly, you know, whether it's the straw that breaks the camel's back, you see the truth and you can barely believe that it took you so long to accept it. Which is incredible, and I think taking people on that journey has made the podcast quite popular. But I think it's I think it's good for Bitcoiners and other crypto enthusiasts to to listen to Jen because mm. to me she represents what an ord- how an ordinary person sees cryptocurrency. I completely agree, and I think how crypto people come across to ordinary people as well, which I think is so important um, in that uh, crypto people attack other crypto coins all the time, calling each other scams when they have, to the outside world, equal merit. And and possibly to those of us quite close to it, they, they're different, but they're not necessarily scams. They, they, they're legitimate and illegitimate in equal measure. And that behavior in itself makes what Jen experienced quite plausibly true. Hundred percent. I think there has been a there's the, there's a danger that the crypto world de- starts to devalue the word scam. Mm. And every every what do they call them? Shit coins. Yeah. This is the language, isn't it? And it, so everything's a scam. Ethereum's a scam and Ripple's a scam and this is a scam and that's a scam. And when you start calling everything a scam, mm. a genuine pyramid Ponzi scheme is just another scam. And then 
to someone like Jen, who's seen every cryptocurrency called a scam, including Bitcoin, one coin being called a scam is like, well... No giant, you, no giant surprise. Yeah, I, you're yeah. calling Ethereum a scam and people are making money on that. So what's the difference? So if you de if everything's a scam, nothing's a scam. And, and I think OneCoin was able to hide in that language. And uh, maybe you'll ask about the authorities, but just the authorities made some big mistakes on this in the same way. And before we get to that, I suppose the thing about the the one the Bitcoin or the crypto community, the reason you haven't heard of it, I haven't heard of it, I think is because most of the crypto people that looked at it immediately thought it was a Ponzi scheme mm -hmm. and just thought, no one's going to fall for this. Yeah, This is so obviously stupid. Uh, let's just ignore it. But the mainstream press looked at it and thought, oh, it's a crypto story. It's and another crypto thing. Like, they're all the same. They're all the same. You know, like I read about Tether and I read about something else and I read about mm -hmm. Ripple and... Uh, it's one of those, okay, that's probably for the crypto press to deal with. But the crypto press looked at it and said, oh, it's a Ponzi scheme, I'm ignoring it. It's nothing to do with crypto at all. So it fell between the cracks and no one really covered it. And the people that were investing did not obviously see it was a Ponzi fraud. And it created the space in the middle that, 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 that was there to be taken advantage of. And I, and I think it's frustrating for those of us that really do see some value in the technology and value in some of the ideas around the economics and, and the the game theory and, and uh, even the cryptography itself and the, the computer science. There's something amazing in all of that. And that's getting tarred with this this horrible brush. And it all looks the same to the outside, to both the the, the journalism community, the mainstream press, to the regulatory community in many ways, and to the, to the mainstream uh, population more broadly. And there's there's a need for conversation like like this to, to kind of dive underneath that. Definitely. Tim Curry, who's that critic, the OneCoin critic, I think is a good way of putting it. He says uh, he loves the technology, he loves Bitcoin, hates OneCoin. Could be a T-shirt. Yeah. <laughs> loves Bitcoin, hates OneCoin. He says, we, I want us to self-regulate. I don't want too much regulation because I think it will destroy the technology. And I saw that OneCoin would, would lead to the, reg, to the regulators crushing all of this cryptocurrency. And it would be unfair because OneCoin is not a cryptocurrency. Mm -hmm. So we need to self-regulate. But what does self-regulation mean? Well, it means us in the community should have been going out and aggressively calling OneCoin out mm -hmm. so ordinary people wouldn't fall for it. But I'm afraid to say most of the OneCoin, sorry, most of the cryptocurrency community just didn't. They just I would hold my hand up and include myself and, in that, right? And that's I? what happens. Yeah. And I spoke to Tone Vase about this. Mm. Very briefly, I interviewed him for, we, we went onto a blockchain cruise, actually, mm -hmm. and it didn't, it didn't get into the final program, I'm afraid, because <laughs> it was a bit too, the, the investigation took a different course. And very often when you're making a, either a TV show or a podcast, you do, you spend three or four days on one thing that just gets cut out. Yeah. And you're like, oh, no. So I interviewed Tone Vase and, and we said, talk, talked about OneCoin. And he actually said, oh, yeah, OneCoin, oh, it's too obvious for my listeners. I didn't really talk about it because it's such an obvious scam. Yeah. And I was like, no, you, but, you, but ordinary people, a million ordinary people, it's not obvious to them. Yeah. And if you want to protect the crypto space, 
you have to be policing that space for ordinary people too who might get sucked in. I think there's some value in industry-led and community-led action. Um, There are some companies now that make a lot of money out of crypto that are doing some things. Uh, There's uh, there's several organizations. There's Inatba, there's Global Digital Finance, which I'm one of the founders of. There's um, uh, the Coin Center guys in the US. There's the Chamber of Digital Commerce. There's lots of these Mm. organizations now that have, have taken quite a bit of money to do things around education and there's a role for them, there's a role for the companies themselves, but then there's a role, as you say, for the community and I think across across all of those. And then the third thing is is the regulators. Yes. I think they've, they've put out um, very vague guidance globally around watch out for scams and do KYC, but as we know, A, is that effective and B, is anybody in the mainstream actually even reading that? You know, and a regulator puts out a guidance. Do, do you know anybody um, in, you know, how many people actually read these things? Right, well, the thing about the regulators There's a separate thing about the police, which I'll say something about in a second, because I think maybe the police are as important Mm -hmm. as the regulators. But in 2016, the Financial Conduct Authority issued a warning to possible investors about OneCoin, saying they're not regulated by us. We they're outside our perimeter or whatever mm-hmm. the yeah, language is, which um, which totally makes sense to person on the street. Which yeah, yeah exactly <laughs> outside our regulatory perimeter. What does that mean? <laughs> that could um, make it interesting. But a kind, yeah, exactly. Yeah, but a kind of a kind of warning about one coin, which they then removed in August two thousand and seventeen, saying it has been up for long enough. Now, what the what the FCA maybe didn't understand is that one coin promoters took the removal of that warning as proof that they now considered OneCoin to be a legitimate investment. Mm. Guess what, guys? If they took down the warning, it means they don't think we're a risk anymore. And they used that to then push it, not just in the UK, but in countries like Uganda. Yeah. So a Uganda investor is now told... The FCA in the UK, you know, the gold ribband regulator in the world's leading financial centre had no longer considers one coin a risk. Wow. So the FCA actually has a responsibility, I think, beyond its borders because people around the world will look to the FCA because scams like this obviously cross border. But it's very frustrating because what the FCA then said was we've already issued warnings to investors about investing in cryptocurrencies. Like yeah. one coin, sorry, like like Bitcoin, Litecoin, OneCoin. They Meaning, investors looked at it and thought, oh, well, it's in the same category as Bitcoin and Litecoin. Yeah. So that was actually accidentally, I suppose, accidentally was pushing OneCoin's own propaganda. Now, the reason that FCA warning was useful because it meant people like Tim Curry and by this point, Jen McAdam, who is now calling out OneCoin, had an official website to point to, to say, look, do not buy one coin. Mm-hmm. The FCA's issued a warning about it. The minute that's gone, they don't have anything to point other possible investors to. Which is interesting because Bitcoin's been out for so long and people have thrown lots of things at different parts of the industry about Bitcoin, about, oh, well, that exchange, Mt. Gox, was a scam. That, uh, or th- yeah. there was lots of fraud. But Bitcoin itself has never been called out as a scam. And is you know, th- what's happened is regulators have found ways to bring it inside the perimeter and to regulate various actors in the market and in the ecosystem, which is a difference that they can be pointing out. But there's a lack of desire to point that out, that there are bits of the cryptocurrency 
cryptocurrency community mm. uh, and the world of, of crypto assets like Bitcoin, like Ethereum, can be legitimate and legitimized because I think from a policy perspective, there's so much downward pressure from uh, from politicians. Oh, that Libra thing is horrible. China's doing a central bank digital currency. We have to push back on this and we have to make sure that we don't be seen to legitimize it. So, the, you know, to, to the uh, defense, I suppose, or to try and balance the argument, they're in a hard spot with yeah. some of this stuff. They can't overcommit to crypto. Um, but they, the, the, the difficulty of getting that right as well when the FCA deals with horrible things day in, day out that it's trying to call out, you know, this is one of many, unfortunately, in the world. That said, there are lessons that can be learned here without question. Yeah, I think so. Uh, I, I think that careful language with, with these kinds of scams and not sort of inadvertently putting lumping them all in together mm -hmm. is really important and i think they need to understand how scammers play the regulators once you if you don't say anything or if you say something and then remove it that is you aggressively used by scammers it's not just another thing oh, we'll move it from the internet you know because we've we've warned people about it now yeah. and you know everyone will know that we did warn about it before no that's not how the scammers see it you they can spot see an opportunity how innocuous that looked from the inside of, of course, the FCA of course but that is a lesson and i think speed is very important when you spot a scam because pyramid scams or ponzi scams they spread so quickly mm -hmm. so every month that you don't do anything is possibly thousands of investors that have lost out I, so, I, I feel a working group coming along <laughs> yeah, somewhere. Possibly, possibly. And, and, and uh, yeah, it's, I think they need to understand the way, or there's, a, there's a useful role that they can play in thinking about how the self-regulating anti-scammer community yeah. will work with them. They'll, they will say, An early yes. warning system or something. Exactly. It's like dogs exactly. that bark, right? Listen to the barking dogs and, and they'll wake you up and alert you to a threat. Yeah. They might be barking at the moon sometimes, but they might also be barking yeah. at a scam. So Yeah, and, and, and even, even a sort of a carefully worded warning, because I think the initial warning from the FCA wasn't saying straight out this is a scam cryptocurrency. Although, to be honest, if they'd have investigated it carefully and they would have seen the background of some of those people involved, they'd have looked at the multi-level marketing aspect, I think they could have made a pretty sound judgment on this. Yeah. But even if they word it carefully and they're very cautious, it's still something for the self-regulating anti-scammers to point to to help them stop the scam themselves. I think there's something in how they point to it as well, though. I think the vociferous nature and uh, the strong language that they sometimes use can be very off-putting, again, to person on the street, but also to the regulators. Yeah. There's, a, there's a way in which these things can get done if you want to achieve your outcome. Yeah. Maybe doing it the way you've always been doing it isn't getting to success. You need to change how it's done. And that might be a lesson as well. But there's still, even, even though the uh, Mark Scott has been convicted in the US for money laundering one coin proceeds. The brother Constantine has pleaded guilty. We've obviously got our podcast out. As far as I know, there's no one coin warning on the website still. Wow. Hasn't been reinstated. There are several other schemes that look, I can't say too much legally, but that look remarkably similar to OneCoin. Mm. Let's just say that. 
that they could investigate and put even softly worded warnings about, specifically about particular cases, lumping them all in together as part of the be be aware of investing in cryptocurrencies because it's all kind of not regulated properly by us or protected by us, is not really good enough when you've got this proliferation of all sorts of different very clever scams. Interesting. Um, And then you mentioned the police um, could have been doing some things. What, What are your thoughts there? There were very few convictions relating to OneCoin until two months ago, which was nerve-wracking for us as well. You mm-hmm. know, and it's hard for the BBC to call something a scam when <laughs> you know, there's, there's not that many people that have been convicted for it. So what's frustrating and what I think a lot of ordinary investors find frustrating and don't understand is how is it possible that people are openly still promoting this in the UK? Yeah. I don't understand why has no one been arrested for this. Yeah. And I and and I think even one or two carefully chosen arrests within the UK early on for I don't know what exactly bank fraud is normally an easier charge to stick than wire fraud for mm-hmm. example just to demonstrate a sort of exemplary punishments again so the people who are trying to call out one coin could point to near the top of the pyramid and say look these people aren't trustworthy. It's weaving the garden before it gets overrun, isn't it? Exactly. Look, they've been arrested for what's the thing with Al Capone and what did he get done for in the end? Yeah, it was something small. I can't something remember. relatively small, wasn't it? Some fraud case yeah. or whatever. Maybe it's a similar thing here because now that Mark Scott has been convicted for money laundering, I mean, that's a real death blow to OneCoin because you've got someone really near the top who was involved in money laundering getting convicted. Indeed. And you, that could have happened in 2016 in the UK with some of the top investors. I can't name people, of course, oh, yeah. for legal reasons. But a couple of carefully selected arrests might have really deflated this early on. Wow. Uh, interesting thing, what could have happened, but also what lessons we can learn. And I think yeah. that's the, the really productive point. Um, I'm going to go to a quick fire round because we had loads oh. of questions. You oh. were, when when, uh, when 11 FSers found out that uh, that you were coming in, uh, it was a Slack sellout. Um, I got all kinds of messages. Um, so first one um, is actually one. It's because it's a cryptocurrency story that's actually kind of exciting and there's crossed over, you know, and I think it, it was yeah. it was like the ultimate murder mystery. It, it, people have described it as being like serial, but that happened in real time. Yeah, it, it's, it, it's, there's something about the production quality that you guys did. So hats off, um, but also the following the investigation in real time that I think has just um, made it wildly popular. But the first question, and this was producer Petritz, was: Did you expect it to become so popular? What What did you expect? <laughs> we knew immediately this was an unbelievable story and we were mostly worried me and georgia were mostly worried that we wouldn't do it justice oh because we could see this you've got all these different elements of it you've got the fake news side you know the fake forbes front cover a glamorous mysterious woman that's disappeared multi-billion dollar scam i mean it had all the ingredients to be something incredible and it was just us two (laughs) i've been i've been emailed and people said oh congratulations to you and your team like there's no team there's me and georgia <laughs> that's incredible working flat out on this so our worry was that if we if we did it really well it it would have we knew it could be really popular but we were we were nervous we wouldn't do it justice because we were so small but we we 
I suppose the other thing we were nervous about was by calling it the missing crypto queen, people would look at it and think, oh, God, Just a crypto, oh, it's not my thing at all. And we didn't want it to be for the crypto listeners. We wanted it to be, well, we wanted it to be them too, yeah. but we wanted this to be for normal people. No. Crypto I, people are normal people it, as well. It, crypto for, people for are people ma- too. But <laughs> yeah, <laughs> for a mainstream audience, let's yeah. say that. And and I think it has has absolutely achieved that. So um, Gary Thornton, uh, G Thornton one hundred one on Twitter asks, um, "Does Jamie's mum understand blockchain yet?" Oh, no. mm-hmm. oh God, I meant to ask my mum that because I saw that on Twitter. I was yeah. going to phone her and ask her if she understood it yet. I can phone her now if you want, and I'll check. Uh, Would you like me to do that? Real time. Can we do that, uh, Alex? Yeah, let's. Yeah, give where's it a go. my right. phone? Is my phone's over there? I'll give her a quick call because I. She has listened to it. Yeah, my mum became like a mini celebrity uh, for some of the listeners because they were like, oh, I love the fact you explained blockchain to your mum. Well, did you think that was a good description? I thought, yeah. I, if, oh, for for really one guy's on opinion, that. I thought you did a pretty decent job. It's hard to do, and I've had to do it a lot. So I worked really hard on trying to make that description understandable. And I think you uh, you have a cadence that makes it digestible as well. <laughs> I think it's it's not just understandable; it's Let's see digestible. See if I can call her. See if it works. She probably won't answer. Here we go. I'll tell you what happened. She won't answer, and she'll call me back in one minute. Does your my my mum seems to never answer the phone? Yeah. And then just calls back ten seconds later. Welcome. Let's save that one and come back to it. Yep, we'll <laughs> save that one and come back to it. Alrighty, next question was from Ollie Betts or Betts Ollie on Twitter. Has Jamie stayed in contact with the person in Frankfurt? I feel like that remains the best lead on the whereabouts of the doctor. Yes. Good. We'll go with that. Um, that was an excerpt, <laughs> by the way, from a 40-minute phone call. Wow. There's a lot more Ooh. in there. We We were always playing a difficult game of telling the story in real time, but we thought we might actually find her in Frankfurt, and so we didn't want to reveal too much in case she was listening Yeah, and then just vanished. So we were constantly weighing up, what do we say and what, what do we not say to keep this... We, I mean, we hoped we might literally bump into her in the street. Which makes me want to ask, um, so Elliot Foreman from 11FS asks, what would you do if you did? <sighs> I've thought about that a lot, you know. Um, I have no idea. I, I mean, both legally. Like, do we call the police? Yeah. I'm not even sure that we're what are supposed, you supposed to, to do. What are we supposed yeah. to do as someone who we believe to be a you know wanted fugitive? I mean, obviously, what we do is go tearing up to her with microphone in hand, saying, "It's you, isn't it? It's you, Doctor Ruja. Will you answer our questions? Will you speak to us with the microphone?" Then yeah. Make sure we get the us running after. Yeah, her. yeah. The foley. And 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 uh, I don't think she'll be walking around on her own. I think she will have bodyguards with her, so it'll be very hard to actually get close to her. But you want to do the pro- whole watchdog thing? It would, like, exactly. You, you it would build have been, been scamming somebody and go confront them. It would have been chasing her around the streets. I think that would have been funny. But, uh, but you know what? The one question I would have asked is did this get bigger than you thought yeah, did, it, did yeah, that you was the... lose control of this did you think it was going to be another 5 million ico scam mm. that you just disappear and everyone yeah. would forget and it actually turned into the biggest scam since bernie madoff and did you did did you expect that to happen or was that a surprise i wonder if we'll ever get the answer um so yeah, I mean, the, the questions ask themselves, don't they, in some cases. Um, the question from Jason Waterman at 11FS, um, who was the source at the end of episode eight? Oh, come on. You yeah. really think I'm going to tell yeah, you that? you've got to ask a journalist for sources. <laughs> uh, and the last question from me is, do you think there'll be a season two? 
I've been asked that one a lot as well, funnily mm. enough. I, my personal view about season two, I don't know if there's a whole season in it. Maybe a one-off special or something. I can't say too much about that right now. Clearly, for anyone that's listened, the story's not entirely... There's not closure on this story yet. A weird Christmas special with some cameos. <laughs> <laughs> like The Office or something. <laughs> the thing is, I mean, what do you think about this? If we did another episode and we still didn't find her, would you be disappointed? I, it depends what it was. Yeah. And I'd go with your gut. Yeah, that's generally the only rule I've ever gone. Um, and then it then see how it performs. Yeah, because, because there's a danger in that. But because it's, there's other, there's definitely other strands to investigate here. Yeah, there are other bits of the story. As you know, when you're making something this big, there's loads and loads of things that don't make the final cut. Loads of things to do with government involvement, to do with organised crime, to, you know, things that there's a lot more in this story that we haven't come up with. I mean, in the case in the US courtroom with Mark Scott, I don't know if you've read this, what's coming out of the court reporting, but for example, to make it even weirder, Konstantin Ignatov was uh, basically kidnapped by Hell's Angels. Yeah, what? I mean, the thing's ridiculous. There's, so there's so many weird bits to this story that you could investigate further, but... Without actually getting hurt, yeah, will they all feel a bit empty? Well, I wonder is 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 it does it go a bit too J.J. Abrahams and the mystery box sort of loses its appeal mm, after a while mm. and it was perfect the way it was? That's always exactly the, that's yeah. Always so the I can't say at, the, at this point I can't say yes or no definitively about another season or another episode. Well, um, there is one last question that my producer Petra has highlighted, which she clearly wants to ask, uh, which is, have you felt threatened at any point during the podcast? <laughs> I feel more sorry for the people who were calling out OneCoin in 2016, 2015, Bjorn Bjerke, Tim Curry, Jen McAdam, because they were doing it when the scam was at its peak. They were both getting threats online from promoters and legal threats from top law firms. That's terrifying. We, I knew I'd have the BBC's backing. Mm. So uh, serious criminals don't usually try and threaten journalists mm. from big organisations. I felt a certain degree of protection from that. We did have the security people at the BBC saying, oh, do this, be careful about this and that. Yeah. But I never really felt too threatened, no, because it would be very stupid of a thing to do as well. well especially when you're in an organisation that has journalists behind enemy lines in war zones. Exactly. Yeah, by contrast. Exactly, there's, there's... exactly. I mean, I was, I was, I was worried about um, the amount of time that was going into editorial policy, legal policy, you know, the legaling of the text and stuff. That, in a way, I was more nervous about that. Like, what if I say something that's wrong? Or what yeah. if I've got my facts slightly wrong? And yes. anytime you do something that gets a big audience, you actually become far more nervous about having made a little mistake. Or yeah. So they were the things that were worrying me more than someone Ooh. turning up. And But you know a really weird story? Go on. The day that the first episode came out, Three o'clock in the morning, someone starts banging and screaming on my front door and my front window. No. And I was like, oh, my God, they found me. <laughs> One coiners have found me. <laughs> Couldn't believe it. And it turns out to be wrong address. Someone's turned. And I look out the window and it's a guy and he's like, Jacob, Jacob. 
let me in, let me in. Yeah. He's got all these bags with him. And after about an hour of talking to him and making phone calls for him, I realized he's just got the wrong house. Oh, wow. I was terrible. How unlucky is that? <laughs> that was literally, I'm not exaggerating, the night episode one came out. Wow. So that was the moment I was most scared, actually. Wow. And my partner came running out being like, they found you, they found you. <laughs> <laughs> Which probably didn't help. <laughs> no, but it didn't. It was in the end, no. So uh, no. And, and, and I think now the whole thing's got to such a big, like so much interest that that also gives you a certain degree of comfort and protection. Yeah, it's now got so big that you're you're known to it. So if anything happened, it'd be kind of like, yeah, be weird. Yeah. Well, I'm well, sorry Jamie, my mum hasn't phoned back. So I can't tell you if she does understand it, but I, if you want my opinion, uh, no, she won't understand it at all still. Bless. Well, no. um, but can I just say this one thing about that? Because my thinking about the BBC produce, the BBC editors, the people that commissioned this, part of their, I know part of their thinking here was we hope that people will understand more about cryptocurrencies and about blockchains through doing this podcast. That was one of the aims that we had. Mm-hmm. And we... We kind of realized that by showing you what a blockchain wasn't, Ooh. you might understand more what a blockchain is. Yeah, that's an interesting way of thinking about it because some uh, do you care how Netflix works or do you care that it works? And sometimes it's showing you how it would work and what it would give you, um, but also understanding there are multiple ways to get to that. You know, mm. sort of, um, you, there are many ways to drive a boat. There are many types of vehicles. There are many ways to achieve an objective. What you really care about is getting to the end result. And so sometimes explaining the thing underneath the surface, yeah. there's times when it's important. And when it's really important, you have to be able to spot the bad things more than the good things. Yeah. And I think some people who've listened have said, well, now I've seen how they manipulated the price, how they controlled the supply, how they used that to scam people. I think I understand a bit better how this blockchain technology that I vaguely understand might have prevented them from doing that. Limited supplies, exactly. etc. Interesting. Well, Jamie, we could go on forever. Uh, it feels like there's there's a pint in our future and a lot more detail that that can't make the uh, can't make the audio. So thank you so much for coming on Blockchain Insider. Uh, where can people find out more? And importantly, where can people get a hold oh. of the podcast? Well, the podcast is on BBC Sounds and wherever you get your podcasts. Mm-hmm. But I always have to mention BBC Sounds, of course, and which um, is a fantastic app, by the way. I really like it. I, people sometimes complain about that, but I think it's really good. Mm. I think it's got a lot better as well. Mm. So it's on BBC Sounds, and um, on on my Twitter feed, I, well, I, I'm still posting updates from, from various things that are coming in. And what's the Twitter feed? Oh, at Jamie J. Bartlett. There we go. All right. Uh, thank you very much for listening. Of course, if you want to know more about the blockchain and crypto world and how it's impacting financial services or the rest of uh, the world, please do subscribe to Blockchain Insider, and we'll have more for you soon.